Hi, it's Bob Safian. You've been hearing me as the host of Rapid Response in this feed for a few years now with short newsy interviews alongside the deeper dives of Masters of Scale. Well, I'm excited to share that Rapid Response is expanding into its own feed. We'll be putting out shows twice a week, focusing on the urgent issues that business leaders are dealing with in real time. So search for Rapid Response in your podcast player and subscribe to make sure you get all our episodes. I'll see you on the other side. If you and I were gonna play soccer, football, match to the death. You're given $10 million and you can hire any players you want. And I am given $10 million and our teams are gonna play and whoever loses, dies. Right? And then there's a little catch, which is I can only hire in Buenos Aires or in Sao Paulo. And you can hire all over the world. You will kill me, <laughs> no matter what, right? And this is no different when it comes to a startup. So I think that's the biggest advantage. It's just that when you have no geographical fencing, you will find better people, period. Hi, listeners. We are currently hard at work on the next season of Masters of Scale. And just like everyone else, we are grappling with the challenges brought on by the corona outbreak. A big one of these is the sudden, unexpected shift we have all taken to remote working. Just like so many of you, I am also working from home. Today, I want to share with you an unreleased segment from my interview with Wences Cazares, who was recently on the show. Wences is a serial entrepreneur and founder of the Bitcoin platform, Zappo. His team also works fully remote, so he's the perfect person to talk to about how to approach work life in the corona era. There are so many great insights here that will help anyone going through these disorienting adjustments, whatever your line of work and size of your organization. Wences has shared Zappo's guide to remote working with our listeners. You can find that link in the episode show notes. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Wences Cazares. We'll start the show in a moment after a word from our premier brand partner, Capital One Business. I woke up in the middle of the night because I had this nightmare that we were front page news that we've done the stupidest mistake of our life by making this pivot. <laughs> That's Aparna Saran, Chief Marketing Officer for Capital One Business. And she's recalling a moment from her previous position at Capital One when she was heading up a team designing a new business card. We had just made the decision to go all in and sunset the prior version of the product, which was honestly the cash cow for our business. When we made that decision within a senior leadership meeting, as someone who had been on the journey to build this out for five plus years, it was really exciting. But by the time the weekend hit, I started to feel the responsibility and the pressure. We are taking this big bet on something that I've built. Perhaps you've been there. You've made a pivotal decision and then panic sets in. How would Aparna calm her butterflies and steer her team through this pivot? We'll find out later in the show. It's all part of the Refocus Playbook, a special series where Capital One Business highlights stories of business owners and leaders using one of Reed's theories of entrepreneurship. Today's Playbook Insight, have multiple plan Bs. Mm -hmm. 
What's been your experience and what pointers would you give to people who are thinking about office versus remote? We are learning a lot about remote. I wish the book was written and we just follow the book like we do for so many other things. You know, we're not guessing how to do accounting. The book's written and we just follow the book. Hmm. I wish uh, remote was one of those disciplines, but it's not. So we're learning as we go. And for us, it's very important to make it work. And I agree with you. It seems to me one of the main lessons is that you either go fully remote with absolutely no offices where, um, you know, I'm the CEO, I work from home and my CFO works from home in London and my general counselor works from home in Santiago, Chile, and my head of HR works from home in Miami. And I think that is easier to make it work and to have everybody in the same office, it's also easier to make, even when you have multiple offices. The blend that is really hard to make work is when you have some people working in an office, in some offices, and some people working from home because that automatically creates a two-class system. You have first-class citizens who go to an office, you know, participate of water cooler conversations, go out to lunch with some people, go for beers, and there's all of that information dissemination in informal channels that they have access to their first-class citizens there in the office, and second-class citizens who are alone are, are, are at home. And I think that's really, really hard to manage, and I wouldn't advise that. I think it, it's a lot easier to be one or the other, but the hybrid seems very, very hard to make it work. And what are some of the lessons that I've learned? You originally were kind of a little hybrid, yep. and now you've gone totally remote. For that reason, exactly. And what are some of the lessons you've learned from how to do remote well? Where are remote strengths? Where are its weaknesses? What do you do in terms of organization? I would say, well, first of all, we are still trying to figure it out. And it has advantages and disadvantages. We are all for the advantages, but I don't want to minimize the disadvantages. The main advantage is that you know, if you and I uh, were going to play soccer, football match to the death, and you are not going to play, and I'm not going to play. We are much better off that we don't have to play. But you're given $10 million, and you can hire any players you want. And I am given $10 million, and our teams are going to play, and whoever loses, dies. right? And then there's a little catch, which is I can only hire in Buenos Aires or in Sao Paulo. And you can hire all over the world. You will kill me, <laughs> no matter what. right? And this is no different when it comes to a startup. So I think that's the biggest advantage. It's just that when you have no geographical fencing, you will find better people, period. Those people will be more motivated and more loyal. We have almost zero unwanted churn. That is a huge advantage. The, the big disadvantage is that it has to do, I would say that the number one is that if you don't manage it well, people tend to get burned out and more than if they had to go to an office and even, I would say, depressed. I would say that's the number one disadvantage. And, and maybe somewhat connected to that is the, the dissemination of informal information, things that don't necessarily have to do with work and creating the equivalent of water cooler conversations and lunches and going for a beer and things like that, right? Or just running into someone at the cafeteria. You don't have that. How do you recreate that? Mm. That's an effort. On the first point of being burned out, the difference between going to work at an office and working remote is exactly the same difference between living with your parents and moving out and living alone. And people don't realize this. And if you're not very conscious about this, it can very easily lead to burnout and maybe even depression and, and just feeling sort of disconnected and disengaged from the world. When you have to go to an office, you don't realize that that dictates what time you wake up. That dictates that you probably take a shower. You get dressed more or less decently. You probably have breakfast before you go there or on the way. There are a number of things that 
your parents, in this case the office, are deciding for you. If I remove having to be in the office by 9 a.m., all of a sudden you may or may not wake up at a given time. You may or may not take a shower. You may or may not have a healthy meal. You may have that meal sitting in your laptop. And anyway, there, there are a number of things that seem trivial, but, but putting some effort into how do you work, setting a routine, setting your, your workspace correctly. You know, when you go to an office, someone else did that for you. Someone else set up your cubicle or your office. And when no one does that for you, you have to put more effort than you thought into thinking, how is my space going to be and how is my routine and my day going to look like? Do you help your employees? Like, do you have a kit saying, here's some things you should consider. Here's some things we're going to send to your home. Yes. It's a work in progress. We do some, we want to do more and we want to package it more, you know, make it more embedded in our onboarding program and yeah, because as I said, we're learning as we go and we're constantly adding things to that kit. We'll be back in a moment after a word from our premier brand partner, Capital One Business. There was panic that set in that night because I didn't want to let people down. We're back with Aparna Saran of Capital One Business. She was recalling the time she woke up in a cold sweat, terrified that the new product she had been working on might fail. So the next morning, she sat down and wrote an email. It was Sunday morning, and I said, you know what? I'm going to just, like, share this with my peers. It was very emotional. It was, like, sort of a cry for help. Aparna realized that if the new product didn't take off, she needed a plan B, preferably multiple plan Bs. I'm inviting them to be the thought partners so that we are mitigating as much risk as possible. And we have contingency plans in place as we make this move. You'd write something like this and your heart is pounding. Should I send this? It was a super vulnerable moment for me. But then I was like, I'm going to just send this. Like, what's the worst that will happen? It can't be worse than being on the front page of the <laughs> newspaper. So she held her breath and hit send. What happened next would surprise even her. We'll hear about that later in the show. It's all part of Capital One Business's Spotlight on Business Leaders, following Reed's Refocus Playbook. How do you do recruiting, given that typically recruiting is a little, it's a little bit more practiced to have recruiting within an office, bring them to an office, have a group of people interview them. Generally speaking, you're pre-qualifying people based on whether or not they already live in the area or willing to move to the area. It strikes me that it's a different set of search pattern and a different set of interview process. Yes. So recruiting is very interesting when you're hiring remote. The first one is something that I have told you because of LinkedIn, which is that it's hard to find tools to do global searches, right? Most recruiting tools, you start by saying, where are you looking? Are you looking in Bangalore? Are you looking in the San Francisco Bay Area? Are you looking? And if you remove that, it's very hard. So we end up tweaking, hacking existing tools, you know, and sort of saying, we think that because of this profile, these are the geos where we are looking for. But there's not really a way to do sort of a global blanket search. There's some progress, but it's very nascent there. That's one. And then in regards to the interview process, we tend to get a lot of applicants for each search. So we have to do a little bit more, how would you say, sifting through before we get to interviews. We do interviews through Zoom and that tends to work very well. We have done some experiment where I would like to do even a lot more work for some positions 
We have done some experimenting where for some positions, we don't do any voice or video interviewing. It's all chat, right? And it has surprised me of my own unconscious biases, right? I think that by doing that, we've hired some people that maybe if I had seen them or heard them, we would have not for silly reasons, right? Some people who are very, very intelligent and to speak in a certain way or English is not their first language and I am judging the wrong things. And for someone who's going to be working remote, this is going to be most of their communication, despite us doing a lot of Zoom video calls. Most communications for most positions happen on chat and on email. So judging how people communicate there makes a lot of sense for some of these positions and also mm -hmm. leads you to hire people that otherwise you would never hire, sometimes being some of the best people we may have. Mm -hmm. Because you don't have to do as much of how good is a person in a geolocated team. You don't have to do as much of the kind of, um, you need to have a time dynamic, but it's through chat and email and Zoom, but not through other other regards. On the other hand, you need to have more grit. You need to have more, probably more self-motivation. Yes, right? resourcefulness and being a self-starter is sort of crucial. And so back to the kind of the depression and burnout, how do you amplify those elements of the team connectivity. So where we are right now is saying, if you think you know how to work remotely, go ahead and do it. We, we, we really don't care which way you make it work, right? Now, if you're struggling, if you are burned out, if you feel depressed, disconnected, we do have some guidelines we think work a lot. And we say it this way because some people get attracted to the remote model or working from home for the wrong reason. So they think all about the upside I don't really think about the downside or the burden, right? And so when we give the guidelines, they may seem like a big burden. And the guidelines have all to do with setting up your routine, putting a lot more effort into your routine than you would have to if you were going to an office. And some people think, well, but that's the reason why I want to work remote. Well, yeah, if it works for you, fine. But if it's not working out, we've learned that this really helps. Mm. And also your workspace. Number one, having a workspace, right? Having a, a workspace that is distinct from the rest of your life. It's important because if you are working from the kitchen and then from the living room, then from your bedroom, your mind associates all of those spaces with work and you won't disconnect. Mm. Whereas if you have a space that you can close the door and that's your office and when you're there, you're working and when you're out, you're not working. It's a lot healthier it's a lot healthier way of separating work and not work. And same thing with the routine, right? Having a, a routine that makes sense, that it's healthy, that lets you work well when you're working, but also enjoy life when you're not working. Well, one of the things I remember from when you were down here in Patagonia for a year working is you not only kind of set up an office, but you were like there all the time. Like if someone wanted to reach you, they could essentially knock on the door through Zoom yep. because you were there during work hours. <laughs> yeah, I do that. You're right. That happened almost by mistake when I lived for a year in Patagonia. And now I do it when I'm in my office, <clears throat> my Zoom is running. And especially the people that I work with, they don't even need to knock. They come in, mm. right? If I am going to have a meeting where I need privacy because it's an outside, I'm doing an interview with a candidate or I'm talking with a regulator or a vendor or something, I do a separate meeting. But my personal meeting is always open. And you come in and you, when you come in, you may see that I'm talking with someone else and you can hang, just like if it was my office. You may walk into my office and if someone else, you may decide to leave because you want to talk with me alone or you may hang around. Well, that seems to work quite well. If I'm in my office, 
that Zoom is on and people can just come in and out. And sometimes I find it very interesting that you will come in to talk to me and there's someone else and you end up discussing something, obviously impromptu because you didn't come to see that person. They just happened to be there. But that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about that happens in an office that, that we have to find ways to replicate remotely and it's hard. Yeah. And so what tools do you specifically use and what tools, if any, have you built? We use Slack and Zoom a lot. I don't think this is doable without those tools. I don't know how people did it before. I can't wait for other tools that will make a similar leap in the future. Cannot think of what they will be, but I'm sure they are coming and make it easier for all of us. I was very reluctant to use Zooms. We used Google Hangouts for a while, and I started using it that year that I live in Patagonia. And I cannot put my finger on it, but now I understand why so many people told me that if we were remote, we needed to use Zoom. It's just better. There's no way we could use something else right now. Just the quality of the sound, the quality of the video, the functionality, it's very robust. For our specific business, we have built some tools. All of our tools are built so people work, assuming everybody's working remotely. We are making a very good use of Amazon Workspaces. Hmm. So for some functions, some positions, etc., we give people who work with us an Amazon Workspace that has the VPN, the security we need to make sure they have. And it's a better way to do security and other things, but mostly security. We do not own any hardware of our employees. So we give our employees a stipend from them to buy their own computer, cell phone, etc. But we don't own any of that, which forces us to put all the security in the cloud and do not create that false sense of security that because everybody's in an office, uh, something is somehow more secure. And in that effort, these Amazon workspaces are very, very helpful. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Wences. If your company has found an interesting solution to the challenges of the current crisis, send us an email at hello at masterofscale.com. We'll have brand new full episodes of Master of Scale soon. I'm Reid Hoffman. Thank you for listening. And now, a final word from our brand partner, Capital One Business. Throughout the day, text messages and emails kept pouring in. Whatever you need, just let us know. We're back one more time with Aparna Saran of Capital One Business. She was telling us about a Sunday morning email she fired off in a moment of panic. Minutes later, her inbox was overflowing. And the support she found wasn't just emotional, it was practical. We talked about detailed contingency plans and we created our go-to-market strategy. Before we are in full rollout mode, we are at stage gates so that we could test and quickly learn and iterate. And within a matter of like six months, as we were rolling things out channel by channel, those stage gates would allow us to pivot if we saw something that we didn't like. That day, Aparna learned a lesson that stayed with her. Having multiple plan Bs doesn't just expand your options. It gives you new opportunities. The best way to pivot is actually open doors for thoughtful conversations because humility in knowing that you actually don't know everything as well as the empathy in knowing that disruption is always drastic and abrupt helps you go through that pivot with other people in a very different way. Capital One Business is proud to support entrepreneurs and leaders working to scale their impact from Fortune 500s to first-time business owners.
For more resources to help drive your business forward, visit CapitalOne.com slash Business Hub. That's CapitalOne.com slash Business Hub. Masters of Scale Rapid Response is a Wait What original. The show is recorded remotely using sanitized audio gear. It's hosted by me, Bob Safian, Masters of Scale's editor-at-large, and Masters of Scale host, Reed Hoffman. Our executive producers are June Cohen and Darren Triff. Our supervising producer is Jay Punjabi. Our producer is Jordan McLeod. Scripts by Christina Gonzalez. Original music and sound design by Ryan Holiday and Daniel Nissenbaum. Audio editing by Keith J. Nelson and Lena Sillison. Mixing and mastering by Brian Pugh. Special thanks to Emily McManus, Sarah Sandman, Adam Heiner, Kelsey Capitano, Tim Cronin, Charlie Manessis, and Saida Sapieva. Visit mastersofscale.com slash rapid response to find the transcript for this episode and be sure to subscribe to our email newsletter.